You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Getting Swamped. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist. And joining me today is Graham Hall from 24-7 Sports. And Graham, uh, you know, I'm always proud for a W. I love to win games, and I love to put a W in the win column. But last night, just looking at the game and from a fan's perspective and from my opinion to everybody else's opinions out there, this W actually kind of feels like an L, wouldn't you say? I can understand why people certainly feel that way. And obviously it's encouraging when you do enough to win the game. But I think that this was another reminder of how much Florida actually has to work on. And, and, you know, especially quarterback Anthony Richardson, I think so many people wanted to believe after that Utah game, this was a polished product after we had spent so much of the time talking about his potential and to find out, these last two weeks and the fashion that many people have found out that this is a guy who still has a lot to work on, I think has been, it's conflated the disappointment in a sense, because people I think were quick to return to the optimism that, you know, this is a, a quarterback, you know, heavy talent, uh, you know, laden roster that, was going to get Florida back to the national stage. And I think these past two weeks have underscored that, hey, there's a little bit more here to do than people thought, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just just looking at the Utah game and how the team, I, I can't even really, I guess I could say the team as a whole, but it, the team just kind of digressed after the Utah game. I mean, the Utah game gave us hope, right? We are like, okay, the number seven team in the nation. Now, when you kind of go back and you look at it, you're just like, well, what's that? a product of just us being able to run the ball effectively because, I mean, against USF, we were able to run the ball effectively, 217 rushing yards, but the problem is we also gave up 286 last night. Now, if you don't count the negative plays, we give up 300 almost in rushing attempts. And, and USF, I mean, they beat us in just about every statistical category, total yards, pass yards, rush yards, uh, first downs, time of possession, um, turnovers we beat them in, we gave them some, they gave us some. Um, it was one of those games that, to me, to be honest, shouldn't even been close. And I remember having Seth Varnador on here last week, and we both looked at film, and we both broke down the game and said, this should be a game that Florida should run away with. Now, and me too, just a personal opinion of mine, and, and, and it's nothing that I'm, I'm saying I'm 100% correct on. You go back to last year's game against USF, right? And, and and the talent profile, we get the 12th ranked talent profile, they got the 65th right now. So they, they're not loaded with talent whatsoever. Last year, Emory Jones, he threw some picks, uh, kind of kept USF in the game. Richardson came in, kind of fixed that. We ran away with that game. To me, and, and Graham, correct me if I am wrong, to me, I feel like part of it is on coaching. The other part is kind of on Richardson a little bit, don't you think? I mean, I think with Anthony, if you're not of the opinion that that he has a lot to work on, you're just going to be frankly disappointed. I, I mean, for as talented as he is, as dynamic of a runner as he can be, I think that absolutely, you know, a lot of these things are contingent on the opposing defense. Yes, of course, but also your ability to stay fully healthy throughout the year. And, and I think that Richardson, that has been a question since last year. And you know, a lot of it was alleviated by the offseason surgeries and, and what Florida was was trying to do in returning him to health, you know, from the practice standpoint to to making sure that he was fully healthy. But this is a guy who is going to take a lot of contact. He's going to get banged up. And that is going to, I think, affect his overall level of play. But then, you know, not to kind of toot my own horn here in any sense, but if you had been listening, I know that a lot of people, again, wanted to be really convinced, but if you've been listening to what I've been saying since since I had the chance to cover Richardson in high school, I think I was pretty open about the fact that this guy did not really run an offense that would translate in any way to the college level. He played with an offensive line that for you know as great people as they are, were overmatched in a lot of games. And so he was used to escaping from a collapsing pocket, throwing on the run, making something happen that was outside the play call where I really hadn't seen much of him 
at the high school level was setting his feet, making the throw, throwing 30 yards in between coverage, dotting a receiver. I mean, stuff that he's going to have to do at the college level. That wasn't really what he was asked to do at high school whatsoever. And so expecting that this guy was going to make all these strides in one offseason amid a coaching change, when he's trying to recover, missing parts of practice, I mean, that may just be too tall of a task right now for a guy like Anthony Richardson, where, yeah, you can still see the glimpses of promise. You can still see how he can make guys miss in the open field with his legs. The, his arm strength is obviously extremely desirable attribute, but the, it, a lot of it makes sense is what I'm saying. If you'd watched him in high school, you understood that, yeah, for everything that he could do, as amazing as he was at times, when it came to being a true professional caliber quarterback, this guy has a lot of work to do. And Billy Napier has been saying that a lot. That's why I think that you may see the head coach even a little bit frustrated that the narrative had all this hype, in a sense, for a guy like Richardson. Because since Napier arrived on campus, you know, he hadn't been, you know, proclaiming what many people hoped he would, that this is a guy that clearly was the starting quarterback, that he was far and away an incredible guy. And while Napier has been high on him, I think that he has been less effusive in his praise to say than a lot of the outsiders, the pundits, the national media. So for Florida, what I'm getting at, a lot of these things are expected, parts of his development that they knew they would have to address, um, whether it was in the build-up to games or things they would need to correct from week to week. And right now, I think even after a win, it looks like it's the latter, right? Yeah, it's, it's just very weird. I mean, you, you go back to last year, and Richardson looked like a completely different quarterback. Now, I'm not saying that he was perfect. I mean, that Georgia game was terrible to watch <laughs> from a Florida Gator fan standpoint. Granted, that, that defense is elite, and it's probably still elite this year, <laughs> looking at what they've done so far. Um, but you go back to last year, and, and just me, just as a fan, just in general, uh, to me, I think the play calls were more designed for Richardson's strengths than it is now. I mean, it, it, the wide receiver screen, obviously, it, we don't have the wide receivers to run that. I mean, we don't have the speed, maybe per saw, but that's about it. I mean, you, you don't really see much out of those wide receiver screens. Uh, you don't see a lot of throws to the running backs in the backfield. I know uh, I know they started out the game. Richardson looked accurate when he started out the game, but then he just tanked as the game went on. Um, also, uh, something else that uh, I realized last night, and somebody actually tweeted this. This was a uh, actual video of Richardson taking off and running, and he got a good big gain out of it. It was about a 15, 16-yard gain. Uh, Ryza gets tackled. He starts coming up, starts hobbling on that same leg that we thought may have been hurt the last game. Uh, and I don't want to read too much into that because a lot – I mean, he looks pretty healthy, I mean, to me when he goes out there, but – do you think now, you know, the, the reason why Richardson is reluctant to run is he's maybe afraid of, of, of hurting his leg or maybe he is actually a little hurt and he's not telling anybody or maybe the coaching staff isn't doing that? What's the deal on that? Because I see that a lot on Twitter. I see a lot of people questioning that. What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid, I think, maybe adding to any of the speculation here and just I'll put, you know, it yeah. on the coach and the quarterback in a sense. They're willing to come out here right now and say that he's not limited in any way by an injury. I mean, you guys know this game. You're going to get banged up during the course of the season. You're going to get hurt. You're going to play through injury. You're going to have right. bumps and bruises. This is nothing new for guys. Uh, you know, Richardson has played through injury before. I watched him get injured three times in one year in his senior year before arriving on campus. I mean, this is a guy who his style of play is he's unafraid of contact and he consistently gets up and plays, you know, for the next play, even if he is ailing a little bit. And I think that's what you have seen last week and this week against USF is that this is a guy who is going to get up sometimes, be a little bit hobbled, need to limp some stuff up. And maybe that causes concern for the fan base, but he has been able to stay in there and, and live to the next play, even if, his dynamic playability may be hindered in a little bit by his injury. Now, he's not going to come in here and say he's limited in what he can do, but I think it does kind of make it so that he has to pick and choose his moments a little bit more wisely when it comes to whether it's worth it for him to initiate contact, pick up a few extra yards when he already is is ailing a little bit. You know, in the post-game presser, I don't know if anyone saw Anthony's comments, 
saw Billy Napier's comments. Billy Napier said that there was nothing that was limiting Anthony Richardson that he knew of. And then Richardson came out, you know, about 10 minutes later and said that, yeah, sometimes he's in pain, has to go to the training room during the week, manage it, rehab, recover. And it's part of the game. You know, he didn't say specifics or that there was anything, any one thing necessarily hindering him more than anything, but he kind of attributed it to what I just said. This is a physical game. You are going to get hurt. It's how you manage yourself and make sure that your best ability is availability. I know that's a cliche in a sense here, but with, with the quarterback depth behind Richardson, the injury concerns around the team at the signal caller position, they need to put an onus on making sure that guy does not get hurt. I think a lot of people would have been a little bit more frustrated with him if he attempts to run through a safety there and then comes up limping or is down for any extended period of time. If he had to slide and then still comes up limping and is ailing a little bit but is able to stay in the game the rest of the game, I think that Florida's coaching staff, given what they have behind him, given what he's been dealing with, they will take that uh, you know nine times out of ten if they have to. Yeah, I mean, you really, I mean, when you look at backups right now, with Jack Miller still being out, I mean, you have two quarterbacks who haven't taken a collegiate snap in in a game, you know, live game. I mean, you're you're kind of risking that, but at the same time, part of me thought last night, and it wasn't to take Richardson completely out of the game, but I think they should have at least sat him for at least one drive to maybe let him gather his thoughts and, and maybe just try to hand the ball off, run the ball, because they were running the ball pretty effectively. I mean, let, let's let's not kid ourselves here. They kind of went away from that a little bit. Uh, I, I didn't particularly like that pass on first to goal. <laughs> it gets picked off there, but that's uh, kind of an audible, I guess, situation for Richardson there. Um, should have just ran the ball right up the middle or, or any kind of design run probably would have scored you a touchdown there the way that Florida was actually gashing USF on the ground. And I, I don't want to concentrate too much on Richardson. I, I know this game wasn't completely on Anthony Richardson. The defensive side of the football did not look great whatsoever. Uh, maybe you already have two games where Florida was completely gashed on the ground for over 200 plus yards. USF had a total of 286 yards on the ground, averaged 6.6 yards per rush. They forced 11 missed tackles. Their leading rusher was Brian Beatty. He, he ran for 150 yards, averaged 8.8 yards per rush, and 3.35 yards after contact. I mean, this guy only had 14 rushing yards against BYU, 105 against Howard, who I didn't even know had a football team. <laughs> Gashes the Gators last night. On top of his quarterback, Gary Bohannon, who had 100 yards rushing and four six mixed tackles running the football. From a coaching and player standpoint, man, there's no excuse for that. Am I not right? I understand why people absolutely would be frustrated by that. I, I think it also underscores the importance of a guy like Ventro Miller. You know, I'm not going to go and say that there's, you know, that that's an excuse for Florida because I do think a lot of those things, you know, are still something that Florida can't accept yeah. necessarily. But losing Ventrell, I, I think that you have a wide body of evidence at this point that that leads to a dip in production and a dip in effectiveness for Florida's Florida's defense, you know, Florida has played a lot of contain this season and their gap coverage, I think, has been acceptable at times. But they still have some guys that are, are needing to improve in that regard. And, and what they were counting on from a linebacker standpoint in this game, it was what I was viewing as kind of a trial by fire type scenario because you were starting two guys who had played, you know, a combination of 68 snaps in in total in college, right? Yeah. You had Scooby Williams that was had played eight snaps combined in those first two games and then found himself as the starter, um, you know, in a, a large role on Saturday in place of Ventral Miller. You know, Amari Bernie has started as star in those first two games, and so they need to play him more in a linebacker role and uh, get Trevezo Johnson on the field, which I thought was a really good choice. You know, he, he had that critical interception there after Richardson's that, that gave Florida the momentum back and allowed them to eventually score the go-ahead uh, touchdown there. So I think that, yeah, you were counting on a guy in Scooby Williams, eight snaps coming in, and then Shamar James, who had played, what, roughly 60 snaps in those first two games combined. They had to fill the role for a guy in Ventral Miller who was used to being on the field for every single play for the last, what, four years outside of last year. Um, that's a tall task, no matter who the opponent is. You know, I know that everyone wants to believe in, that you can come in and just smack every 
every opponent that you face. But, you know, a lot of this same roster, and I, I'm not trying to give anyone some PTSD or bad memories here, but a lot of the same roster is the defense that allowed 50-plus points to Samford last year. And I know that we spent a lot of the year everyone wanting to convince themselves that it was solely on Todd Grantham. But the fact is that was, what, six games ago with the majority of your roster back? I mean, I understand that people want an overnight fix and the scheme was supposed to fix things and they're playing freshmen who are impressive, whether it's Devin Moore or Shamar James. But I think we need to keep in perspective that this team, this defense, when they had no Ventrell Miller in there last year, gave up 50-plus points to Samford. And so I understand that this is a depressing thing to stomach, that USF comes in here and runs all over you, outgains you in your home stadium. But it is hardly, I think that's kind of revisionist history, it's hardly the first time we've seen it in the last year. And I understand why why people are are frustrated without a doubt. But... This team, I think, still has some work to do when it comes to building depth behind Ventrell Miller, re- replacing uh, much of the issues, fixing much of the issues, excuse me, from last season. And, um, you know, the biggest thing I think that would be frustrating is the, the parity between performances. I mean, to be able to, as effectively as you were against Utah, to do that and then flip a switch in a sense or have one guy go go out and the ceiling is incredibly lowered – that is, I think, the concern that Florida's coaching staff must deal with, not the fact that it happened. I think that you had a, enough evidence to believe that something like this could happen, but it's a reminder that the coaching staff has more work to do when it comes to repairing all this. And as much work as they put it in, in the last nine months, uh, there's still some stuff that needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. A good, fair point about Ventral Miller and uh, putting freshmen out there. I, I get that. Um, I, I, you know, just going back, if you, if you want to even talk about last year's defense, I, I did a statistic, uh, I think it was four podcasts ago. Florida, the first six games, gave up 16.5 points per game. Now, I didn't go rushing yardage or passing yardage. I didn't do any of that. I just went strictly points per game. Uh, I believe the last seven games, they gave up over 30-plus points per game. And part of me thought, Technically, maybe that was just the team. Their confidence levels were just lower. The, the coach was out the door, and maybe they just didn't care. Kind of, you know, maybe maybe just kind of just tried to ride the rest of the year out, and that was it. You go into this year, you see you see some good things from the defense a little bit in these first three games. I mean, obviously that pick six did help us last night with Jalen Kimber. Uh, but, man, last night, it, to, to me, it, it, and look, we— to me, in my opinion, I, I know there's not experienced players out there. I mean, we we have the talent. I think if you have this much talent over some other teams, no matter if you're playing young guys or not, it, it shouldn't be this close. And, and and to be honest, I think USF lost the game for themselves. They shot themselves in the foot. Uh, you know, no pick six, no uh, you know bad snap at the end there when you're trying to get at least in field goal range to go to overtime or score to put the game away. I mean, USF gave Florida a lot of chances to win this football game, and that's what it took to beat USF last night. And I think when you think from a, like a fan's perspective, that's what makes the W even worse is the fact that Florida probably loses this game if there's not a lot of miscues from USF. Yeah, I think that you know that's that's absolutely a a, a way to look at it completely. I mean, from the opening drive again, turnovers, which was the case against Utah, which I mean, you, you saw turnovers against Kentucky. That has been a consistent theme for Florida this season is squandering their own opportunities. You know, I know for as great as Montreal Johnson yep. was in that second half against the Utes, you know, he put it on the ground and in, in, on his first UF carry, and I, I think that. When you look at this running back rotation, you're talking about a coaching staff that came in determined to run a, a by committee approach and really is is not going to go away from that, barring something you know incredibly unforeseen. Um, as much as people want to you know get Montreal and you know Trevor Etienne in the game, this is a team that is determined to to run you know a by committee approach. And so I think that absolutely when you're doing that and guys are committing turnovers and then they're still getting back into the game and it's hurting your chances throughout. You know, a lot of those things can absolutely 
be frustrating. And, you know, as much as I'll say this, so as much as you are going to keep your opponent in the game with your own mistakes, I think that, you know, the other team is going to do that a lot of the time too. You know, the missed field goal by USF was an absolute gift considering that guy had hit one earlier from 50 yards and, you know, who expects the, the holder to just, you know, drop the snap in, in a critical moment there in front of, you know, 85,000 screaming people. I, I think that that absolutely is a gift for Florida, just like they committed some gifts, you know, gave some gifts to the other team in, in the first game. And again, against USF, you know, Richardson's picks were, I, I think, you know, very consequential moments, not great throws. Yeah. Um, and, and, huge opportunities for USF to capitalize on. And, and they did at times, but you know, it, it's a game where, yeah, you're going to make some mistakes and then you have to make sure that you can force the other team into making some so that you can either make them back up or create those critical game changing opportunities for your own. And as much as Florida did that on offense, you know, give USF an opportunity, their defense for as poor as they, they played at times, especially giving them all those rush yards, you know, two interceptions, that was critical, absolutely, yeah. to to Florida being able to amend that. Because when you saw that Kentucky game, when they turned it over three times and only picked off Levis, what, once? Yeah. They didn't win the turnover battle. And, and I think that despite their flaws, not making them up on defense was just as critical as the, the issues on offense, if you ask me. Yeah, and, and speaking, we're still – going to be on defense here speaking of, of that I mean the defensive backfield uh for the most part uh I, I say played decent uh, I wouldn't say that it would be great I mean they did have they had key interceptions uh but really when you look at it the defensive line did not help this backfield out whatsoever I mean if you go to this game right here let me look up this stat here they only had they didn't have any sacks they had four tackles for loss um, two uh, two pass breakups from the defense in the back, but only five quarterback hurries. Now, and, and I don't want to take anything away from USF. Their offensive line's actually been pretty good this year. They haven't allowed any sacks on the quarterback. They've only allowed three quarterback contacts, only four quarterback hurries, only seven total pressures in three games. So I don't want to take away what USF did on their offensive line because their offensive line played pretty well for their quarterback. But at the same time, the defensive line gave USF so many opportunities to run the football right up the gut or gave them time to throw the football. And then when you look in the defensive backfield, if if USF has a decently accurate quarterback, a lot of those passes that they threw pretty wide open. I mean, guys were open in the backfield. And as I said, you know, you, you don't get any pressure on, on the other team. It gives them more time to get separation in the backfield. And, and that's what happens. So, you got to kind of credit both teams on that part for, you know, kind of, you know, you got to credit USF, obviously, for the offensive line. But a thing I saw earlier today is Brenton Cox pretty silent the whole game. And when Florida needed a play in the fourth quarter, you heard Brenton Cox a lot. You've seen him all over the field getting pressure, doing all sorts of things. And, and that was the thing that really jumped out to me was the fact that when Florida needs to make a play, they usually try to do it or they can make the play, but you're not getting that for all four quarters. You're getting that for one quarter. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that? Hey, you know, I, I think that Brenton Cox is, you know, he does a very good job. I, I think at times sets the edge well, dominant rusher, physical bull rush. I mean, this is a guy who has a lot of pass rush tools at his disposal. I think he can continue to, improve when it comes to picking up the play and and not over committing at times but this is someone who i think clearly has to be on the field the majority of the time given florida's depth at the jack linebacker that rush end position um in addition to just what he can do you know this is not a guy who is going to make his presence felt every single game you know he is going to face double teams he, they're going to run stunts to try and feel some free some guys up around him I think in goal line defense, he does a really good job commanding the tackles to allow guys like Desmond Watson to really win those one-on-one -on -one matchups when they have advantages. And so, you know, even if his stuff is not showing up statistically or, or jumping out at film, you know, sometimes that is by design to 
free up Florida's defensive line. And, and so I do cringe a little bit sometimes when I see people jump in here and say that, you know, he's playing bad or, you know, he's ineffective or this, 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 you know, this is a very, very talented guy who, like a lot of people, is continuing to refine his game and get more intelligent from the mental aspect. But in terms of what he provides Florida in pass rush, I mean, this is a guy who is successful a lot of the time. And I think with, with that said, you know, he, he probably deserves the benefit of the doubt when it looks like on film that he's underachieving because, you know, the role he's in, what he does on a frequent basis, I think, yeah, just allows many people to believe that, you know, this is a physical game and sometimes you get held in check and sometimes you dominate out there. And, and I don't think anyone is like indicative of your, your long-term abilities necessarily, but when you are struggling to contain uh, an offense that is comfortable running the option and has a quarterback who isn't really, you know, a great pocket passer, but can throw on the run and beat you with his legs. I think that some of what Brenton Cox still needs to work on playing contain, staying in the pocket, not, not over committing to the rush. That stuff appears to stand out a little bit more when you face a quarterback like this, but you know, Florida really hasn't faced a quarterback yet this season that is undermatched. I'll say that, you know, give Will Levis, give Cam Rising and and give, you know, Bohannon who just played in, you know, a power five conference and was at Baylor and, you know, give him a whole lot of credit because certainly when, when you're facing guys like that, they can make you look a little bit, I think, uh, less prepared than you are. I'll say that. Yeah, it's not a slide on Brenton Cox or anything like that. I just kind of noticed it from just a faraway perspective and just an instant reaction to it. I was just like, wow, well, where was Brenton Cox all game? Well, and now he's all over the field. You see him making plays in, uh, deep into the fourth quarter. Where was this Brenton Cox at the beginning of the game? So that that was kind of just my takeaway from all of that. But, um, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, um, Florida, they did what they needed to do to win the football game, and USF did what they did not need to do to lose that football game. Um, but it, it's just, it's one of those games now where you kind of just got to sit back and just say, hey, look, there's there's a lot of things that this team's got to work on. Uh, they're maybe probably not what we thought they were in game one. Um, it, it might be a long year. It may not be. I, I, it, this team could be the, the the furthest thing from down and, and be up the next week. It, it, it's just, it, it's crazy. You get a kind of like a night and day feeling sometimes. Like, uh, I mean, they could go into Nayland Stadium next week and completely just, they could they could dominate that game. I mean, who knows? But I, in my perspective, in my confidence level, and from what I've seen these past three games, I don't think that's going to be the case next week. If you were to ask me right now, if Florida was going to win next week against Tennessee, I would probably tell you no. Um, but it, as I said, we'll just have to see what happens, man. Um, I, I, know, I know you're pretty busy over there at 24-7. Um, uh, got a little bit more time here with you, Graham. I just want to go ahead and kind of announce some a little bit of good news here. Uh, Florida, they did get a commitment today from a 2024 prospect, four-star running back, Chelsea Bowens. Uh, you know, yep. top 250 guy. Uh, a good start, though. A good start for the 2024 class, uh, in addition to top 50 prospect Miles Graham. Uh, Graham Hall. What do we got? What are, what's your thoughts on running back Chauncey Bowens? I mean, this is an incredibly talented guy in multiple ways. Um, you know, at the Benjamin School, I think that name will stand out to a lot of people uh, at Florida. You know, that's where Kyir Elam went. This is someone who is ranked just inside the top 247 sports composite, um, one of the top 250 prospects in the nation, um, a physical runner. I think that that's one of the things that stands out to you right away. Unafraid of contact. I, I, I get kind of, I get kind of Montreal Johnson vibes from him in a sense, watching him run, you know, smart, physical runner, not the most athletic necessarily right now. Obviously that can change when you get into college, but what he does well is run in between the tackles and just a very smart football player. I got to say that, you know, that's where I, I think that, you know, give Benjamin school some credit between him and Kyrie Elam and you know, certainly a whole bunch of other players, you know, this is a, clearly a program that puts an onus on understanding the mental aspect of the game. And, and that can translate on the field in ways I think a lot of people can't expect. And so with Chauncey, you're getting a guy that is intelligent, good athlete, and 
it's if he can continue to improve from a physicality standpoint and in terms of how he sees the field as a runner, I think that you're getting an absolute steal in this class. Um, you know, there's a reason he's a top 15 back in 24-7 sports is composite rankings. Um, that, you know, this is a guy who, yeah, there's some people split on his long-term future and how good he can be. But I think one thing that absolutely shows up on film is how aggressive he is, unafraid of contact. And when you have a guy who can combine that with, you know, intelligence – as well on the field, you have someone who can be a very capable rusher at a position where, let's be honest, frequently they aren't being asked to go out there and, and play 40 snaps a game. You know, you need to be good in pass pro, catching out of the backfield, and good for about 10 runs per game at most in my mind. And if you can do that and be successful um, in the SEC, I think that you're going to carve out a professional career for yourself. So I, I think that this is someone who has the tools and, and just has to put it all together once they get to campus. But as you're seeing with Trevor Etienne, it, it wouldn't be a surprise in the Billy Napier regime to see them get a freshman back who can come in and play right away, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about a guy 5'11", 215 already at the high school level. I mean, still plenty of time to go in that 2024 cycle. I mean, he could go, he could shoot up in his ranking, he could shoot down. I mean, kids develop and they get bigger, they get stronger every year. But uh, really good to add somebody into the fold this early, especially with a top 50 prospect in your class. So Florida, I mean, I'll say this, you know, if you look at this football year and maybe some of the results, probably us Florida Gator fans don't want at least recruiting's not going away. And you heard Billy Napier said, we're not going away on the recruiting trail. So uh, th that's some good news. That's some good light for the future, I guess, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and being able to land a, a commitment after a game like this. I mean, you know, you and I just spent the first, what, half hour talking about the doom and gloom of a game like this. And, you know, that's a narrative thing, right? Right, right it would be justified if Florida was losing a bunch of commits and, and guys were expressing hesitancy in the regime and there looked like there was fracturing going on inside the locker room. I, I mean, a lot of people who have spent time, I need to be really clear about saying this, Florida's defense is not shocked in what Anthony Richardson has done. Right? Right. I, I mean, I think that a lot of people want to believe that these things are shocking the team too, because they are certainly coming as a surprise for them. And that is not the case. You know, we, if you've been following the practice reports, I know you, you have, I know a lot of people out there have been, you know, following what we reported throughout spring and, and into fall camp. You know, this is someone who was intercepted by the defense more than I think the coaching staff was comfortable with at times. It, it was, I think, indicative of, the scheme and Florida's strength of defensive backs right now, even though they're missing a guy like Jaden Hill, they had some, some guys who they felt really good at, had a chance to be number one corners in this room, and they took advantage of Richardson throughout fall camp. And they understand that, you know, he's going to be accountable. He's going to work on it. He's not going to be perfect just yet. And as long as he understands what he did wrong and is able to go out and fix it, I think that they will take that, a majority of the time over someone who is unwilling to learn and, and thinks that they have all the, the skills and are ready to be this star quarterback right now. That's not Anthony Richardson whatsoever. You know, humility is one of the first things that you notice about him when you get to know him as well as how well presented he is in his comments, whether he's meeting a young fan or talking to his coaching staff. This is a guy who understands that mistakes are going to happen. NFL you know, guys come out and sometimes throw four or five interceptions in a game. Didn't we just see that with Joe Burrow? I mean, yeah. I think that a lot of people want to believe that that quarterbacks can't make mistakes once they get to a certain point. And that's just not true, especially if your job as a defensive player is to cause those mistakes, right? Right. So none of these things have shocked Florida. I mean, have they been disappointing? Yeah, absolutely. But this team understands that it's about gradual improvement. And as long as they have the right approach to that, and maintain that focus rather than pointing fingers and getting divided. This program is still trending in the right direction. And, and when you have everyone bought into improving and not, you know, pointing fingers and, and guys are willing to come into that environment. I, I need to say that, you know, people think all the time that wins are what attract players to programs, but seeing a program humble 
amid a win, not acting as if the result is too good for them when they have a bunch of young playmakers in key positions, whether it's, you know, a right tackle on a veteran offensive line making their first start or, or linebackers who are underclassmen, seeing that the program is going to put guys in a position to develop early and that their teammates are not going to chastise them for mistakes and, and villainize them. A lot of times, guys, that stuff is more appealing to prospects than going out there and drubbing USF and acting like, hey, this is business as usual. This is no fun. We have to just take care of business. And if you make any mistakes, you're going to get reamed out. I understand why people go and play for coaches like Nick Saban and, and you know, top tier coaches. But a lot of times having a willingness to let players make mistakes and then learn from them in games like like this i hate using that term because napier scoffed at it but games like usf where you are it's not determinate of whether you're going to go to atlanta and play in the sec championship let me just say that i think that having a game like that where guys are willing to put mistakes on film so that they can grow from them having a head coach and coaching staff willing to do that is very appealing to prospects out there who are trying to find out how to get better rather than just be told what to do, when to do it, without understanding the why. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you think about it, too, I mean, th this coaching staff, they're not even playing with guys that they recruited either. So, it's I mean, you can definitely pitch that to a kid and say, well, we didn't recruit these guys, and we would love for you to be here so we can fix this issue or fix that issue. Or, you know, a lot of those kids, uh, you know, it's all about relationships, obviously, and, and, and all of that, too. A lot of those kids sometimes don't even care about your record. I mean, look look what Will Muschamp did. I mean, this guy consistently, he had one good year, 2012, but he consistently just, he put out poor results on offense and had an elite defense. Don't get me wrong, but it, it, he put out consistent bad results, still was able to recruit pretty elite top 10, top five, and the kids still wanted to come to the University of Florida. I mean, you picked up, Treon Harris and Will Greer in the same class and your offense look like mush. So, I mean, there's a reason why kids go and want to play for university. And it's not just winning results. It's coaching staff, relationships. Where's the future of the program heading? And in the first year as a head coach, you can pitch that. You can say, well, this program's headed in the right direction. I have to clean up this mess that the last coaching staff gave me, et cetera, et cetera. So you can kind of pitch that to kids and they'll still want to come to the University of Florida, I really don't think the results from this year is really going to matter in recruiting. Further on down the road, three, four years, I think kids would want to see improvement or at least see some kind of type of improvement. But as far as right now goes, I don't think anything on the football field in particular would affect recruiting right now. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think so either. I think that certainly there are players who want to see positive results, but most guys realize that they're returning they're, they're coming to a team at the earliest next year that oh man I, I really hope i don't get crucified for this by saying it david but that right now looks like it will get anthony richardson back at quarterback next year given how much he needs to work on given the current trajectory of what he's he's doing i mean that that's i think one of the appealing aspects of a lot of players you know, buying in right now is that this quarterback is already getting usage. Many people thought he would be gone out the door after one year, but I think that right now you could easily make a case that Florida returns him in the fold next year. And, you know, that I think is a very promising aspect, especially when it comes to, you know, recruiting offensive players, um, but especially defensive players that can come in and play year one potentially and learn from having to go against a quarterback with plenty of starting experience where if they make a mistake as time goes on, I think it'll be a more indicative of a talented defense rather than what a quarterback needs to work on. So yeah, what you said is absolutely true. You know, guys are less concerned with the win loss aspect with they're more concerned with the trajectory. And right now for, you know, as much as Florida has to work on right now, I, I still think you can make the case that their tra trajectory, especially since the season started, has been trending in the right direction. I mean, for as long ago as that win over Utah feels, that's still 
is a win over a Utah team that has been dominant since leaving Gainesville. And so, you know, that stuff has not dissipated necessarily. That's not, that's not been erased. And unless Florida absolutely regresses, I think that they are going to still continue to trend in the right direction for recruits. Yeah. And if you look at it this way, man, look at Jim McElwain, his recruiting wasn't that great, but, but the year before he got fired, I think he had what a top five class. I mean, Jamar Chase was in that class. You had Jacob Copeland, Damian Pierce, which we still kept, uh, you know, Jamar Chase actually, you know, he goes to LSU after McElwain gets fired and, and a lot of other elites go elsewhere as well. But you got to think, you know, even if you're not putting out a good product, that doesn't mean that you still cannot recruit. So at the same time, you got to kind of look at it this way as a Florida Gator fan. Yeah, this season may not go the way that we want it to. We don't know what's going to happen, though. We don't know. Uh, some teams get better as the year goes on. Coaches figure things out for their quarterbacks. They figure things out for their defense, and they get better as the year goes on. But even if we have a bad year, what does the recruiting look like? If the recruiting looks pretty well, I mean, we, we're still up for some elites in this class, too. We don't know where we're going to be, if we're going to be top five, close to top five, or in the top ten. But... As long as that future looks good at recruiting, I, I think Florida fans probably just kind of just need to kind of be patient, relax a little bit, and not kind of overblow maybe some of the things that do happen this year. Yeah, as long as you can continue, I think, to recruit in the right direction. Now, if this class falls apart and loses guys and then it's hovering, you know, in the 20s or, or anywhere, then, yeah, we'll be having a different conversation. But right now right. they are, I think, trending still to closing with a top 10 class they are in the mix for many, many top guys that are still remaining in here. And if, if you get, you know, even two of them, I, I think you kind of seal the deal here in a sense, right? That that you're going to lock up a top 10 class of Billy Napier's first year at the helm, you know, again, contingent on keeping everyone. But I think the belief right now is that it's easier to keep prospects in the fold in the NIL era right now. I don't think I need to elaborate on why people think that, but yeah. I think that if you can, once you get them in, as long as you keep recruiting them and keep them in the fold and trend in the right direction rather than regressing, like I said, you're going to add to that class. So the work here that Florida has already done, as long as they don't find a way to erase it, I think they still have a chance to lock in that top 10 class. And then really that will bode extremely well for Florida moving into Billy Napier's second year at the helm, which is going to be, I think, in many ways, an even more difficult year ahead than what this one is because you have i think roster issues as well attrition that will happen you have to figure out what is going to happen at quarterback whether you're starting ahead with someone new or whether you're getting richardson back in the fold to keep working on what you've done for the first nine or so months here now so certainly i, I think that after this year you know there are more questions and how florida fares here over the next three months will certainly shape how many of those questions are, are significant ones that the Gators have to answer. Absolutely. I totally agree, man. The last coaching staff didn't do us any favors. And so Billy Napier's having to try to kind of clean that up too. So everybody, uh, you know, just remember that as well. Whenever you see on field results, um, this is, uh, you know, it, it's a work in progress. I'll say that, uh, you know, unfortunately, Right now, it seems like Anthony Richardson may not be the guy we thought he was. We won't know until the year goes on and how it progresses. But right now, man, as I said, it's a tough pill to swallow for the past two weeks. I mean, even in a W, it's a tough pill to swallow. But I think still, obviously, the future's bright here at the University of Florida. And Graham, uh, you know, I, I know you, you came on here and I know you don't got a lot of time here. I just wanted to say thank you for joining me. And what do you guys got coming up for 24-7? Oh, a lot of stuff we have articles up right now and we're just from last night Jalen Kimber uh, previewing college game day we'll have a podcast later today as well as the release of Florida's AP rankings that'll probably be out by the time you're listening to this episode so a ton of stuff coming up and then we'll be getting ready to go to Knoxville for Florida's first road trip of the season I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it so stay tuned to Swamp 247 and appreciate you having me on always do a great job David we got a link up here pretty soon here to talk a little bit more as the season continues to take some twists and turns I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, man. And hopefully, you know, maybe Tennessee fans will be upset next week and maybe we can get mad at or laugh at him for throwing some mustard at Billy Napier or something like that. Didn't they do that to, to Lane Kiffin? I, they throw some stuff. I don't know. You know, I just hope to see a garbage can out there on the sideline to put it all in. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Well, they won't throw as much trash as South Carolina will, but uh, I'm pretty sure you'll see something. But hopefully we <laughs> can see the uh, the fans leaving the exits here early uh, next weekend. But uh, it's going to be a tough one, man. Uh, Tennessee's offense is looking pretty good. Maybe their defense may be a little suspect there, but the offense is is pretty lights out right now. So it'll be a tough task next week against Tennessee in Nayland Stadium in an away game for Anthony Richardson. Graham, thank you for joining me on Getting Swamp. My pleasure, man. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Could still get a lot better. Could still get a lot worse, right? <laughs> That's right. Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout out at White & Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom fit for your needs. With state-of-the-art paint and epoxy, you can have that glow of your sign too with some custom LEDs as a package as well. Give him a shout out on Twitter at WS Wood Carving. You can also follow him on Twitch and check out his Facebook page at White & Sons Wood Carving. Top of the line signs made from scratch. All right, folks, this year may be getting a little inconsistent for the Florida Gators out there on the turf, but you don't have to be inconsistent on your turf this fall with Manscaped.com's Performance Package 4.0, and your boy David Soderquist can help you out right now when you order from Manscaped.com. Use promo code SWAMP20 when you order from Manscaped.com right now to save 20%, plus get free shipping on all Manscaped products. I'm telling you, the performance package for me has been a complete game changer. You also add that in with the ball deodorant and the very, very comfy Manscaped boxer briefs. It's a touchdown to the end zone, baby. Take care of your turf this fall with the performance package 4.0 or the Weed Whacker when you order with promo code SWAMP20 today at Manscaped.com. Manscaped.com, the absolute and ultimate best in men's grooming. You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast with your host, David Soderquist, your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. You know, Jeff's got a good football team and certainly they had a great plan tonight. I thought offensively in particular uh, played well. They got the transfer quarterback, a handful of skilled players. They blocked us well. They gave us some unique concepts. So a ton of respect uh, for what Jeff's building. Obviously a good friend of mine. So um, we made it hard, but I'll tell you what, a lot of that had to do with South Florida, right, and their execution. So um, always good to win, you know, and I'm very thankful for our fans uh, and the environment they created. Uh, it was awesome in there again tonight. I think we're just a couple hundred tickets away from selling it out again. So they continued to affect the game, right, and uh, I know our team and everybody in our organization are certainly thankful for that. We can't express our gratitude enough. But you know, I'm proud of the team uh, and the fight that they show. You know, this is a group that has showed that they're going to stick together. They're going to play through adversity. Uh, they're going to have each other's back and do enough, right? I think offense, defense, and special teams. So um, something about these one-score games, right? But um, thankful to win. You know, and I told the players that I think. Um, this game, um, I don't think people really understand how much work uh, goes into it, you know, from our players, from our staff. You know, and anytime you win a football game, um, you know, I think there's a place to celebrate that. We're certainly uh, going to do that tonight. We've got a lot of work to do. Um, that's very obvious. Uh, but uh, credit to our team and staff for sticking together and finding a way to win. Got a lot of work to do is correct. And I'm, I'm not going to get too far into the statistics of this game. Everybody has two eyes. They see it. Our biggest strength right now is running the football. Our biggest non-strength on offense, obviously, is passing the football. <laughs> when you go and look at defense, rushing defense is, is terrible, dude. It's pretty bad. Now, backfield defense, it's, it's, it's average. Has something to be desired there, but... Yeah, you go back, you look at that game last night, and if Gary Bohannon is a decently accurate quarterback passing the football, there's a lot of open USF players there that are ready to catch that football and probably get some yards after the catch as well. I mean, we both have eyes. We saw it. There were some breakdowns back there, too. They gave up some some key third downs, um, but overall, like, you, you look at this game. Florida didn't win 
USF lost is what happened. Montrell Johnson, 103 yards, one touchdown, averaged 17.2 yards per attempt. And he only got six attempts. Run the football. If your offense is struggling, run the football. This is what I wanted to see. I wanted to see Florida run the football, get up two or three scores, probably three. I would be more comfortable with three. Then try to get your quarterback some confidence. Then try to throw the football. Don't get into a close game and then just say, okay, well, here's your turn to throw the football now when, when we're down by three points or, or we're, you know, we're up by just one touchdown. You don't do that. You, you play to your strengths. You try to win a football game. You dare them to stop you on the ground. And when they do stop you on the ground finally and they start moving guys up, that's when you take the tops off of them. They didn't do that last night. There was too much mixing up, and there's too much of a, of a still of a, of a running back rotation. You need two primary guys. Montreal Johnson and ETN are your guys. I'm sorry. I love Naquan to death. Maybe you put him in the backfield to catch some running back passes. But Montreal Johnson and ETN are your two guys. I, 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 I just don't get why we're still rotating three running backs like this. It baffles me. As far as receiving, obviously, you, you kind of got to put it on Richardson a little bit, but Receivers, none of the receivers had over 40 yards last night. Persall, 14. Whittemore, 33. Shorter, 33. Xavier Henderson, 3. Keon Zipper, 29. That's it. Five receivers, 112 yards total. Not going to get it done against the tougher teams in the SEC and in the conference. Just not going to get it done. Defensively, especially defending the rush, completely poor. Piss poor, if you ask me. 295 yards rushing allowed. Now, this isn't counting the negative plays that they take off for the rushing yards. I think it was like 286 that they gave up with the negative plays. But when you don't add in the negative plays, 295 yards rushing, almost 300 yards rushing to a team with a 5'8", 165-pound running back who had 150 yards, averaged 8.8 yards per attempt, forced five missed tackles. On top of their quarterback who rushed 100 yards, and averaged 5.6 yards per rush and forced six missed tackles. That's pretty good. I, I, I can understand if you're missing tackles on a 220-62 quarterback. I, I get that. A five foot eight, 165 pound running back, and you can't tackle the guy. Now, I, I don't want to take anything away from Brian Beatty. He's been pretty good this year. He's averaged, I think, 10 yards per rush every time he's touched the football. Um, but still, I mean, they played Howard, BYU... Come on, man. Like, you got to tackle better. Uh, the, 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 these missed tackles and these yards after contact, I mean, he averaged 3.35 yards after contact. You can't tackle that guy? Hand me a football. I, I, I'm close to that. I'm close to that weight and that height. Hand me the football. I'll, I'll run 150 yards. That's how I felt about last night. Now, we can blame coaching, but the guys are there to make the tackle. You kind of got to blame the players a little bit here. I mean, as far as coverage goes, I, I can't say I'm really upset with it, but uh, I, I kind of was. I mean, if Gary Bohannon's the least bit accurate, we're giving up a lot more yards passing through the air last night. I'll just say that. And I'm, I, I'm not going to go too in-depth on passing defense or anything, but but Florida's got some, they got some soul-searching to do, man. Uh, defense, offense, uh, special teams, I, I, I can't say that they've been bad. I mean, they've done their job. They haven't really... Um, missed a field goal or done anything ridiculous like USF did last night. Like, I mean, without that botched you know, snap, w- w- what happens? What ha- does does USF run away with the football game? Do they kick the field goal? I mean, Florida had so many opportunities that USF gave. I mean, they missed field goals. Like USF was was god awful in, in field goal kicking. But y- you play a better team. I mean, <laughs> you're you're gonna get whooped, man. Like it's. That, that's pretty bad. Now, was it the fact of players just being down for the game just because it was USF, or was it just the fact of maybe this team ain't as good as we thought it was? I know this. When the defensive line was struggling and they had to make a play deep in the fourth, you saw Brenton Cox all over the field. Where was he all game? Can we have that same mentality for all four quarters, please? Not not one? I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I have no answers. I can't. I'm not, I'm not a head coach. But last night was a win, but it was atrocious. It was completely poor. And I don't want to harp too much on it anymore. Obviously, as I said, we all have two eyes. And uh, you know, I, I took to Twitter earlier last night 
And I'll read some of my tweets because I'll stand in the paint on some of these. I said USF was 83rd in rushing, averaging a whole, only 121 yards per game. They have already exceeded it in the second quarter. USF was converting third downs 25% of the time. They converted 53% of their third downs last night, along with 23 total first downs. I also took to Twitter and I said, what are your thoughts on last night's performance? Now, I've got a, a resounding <laughs> a, a list of comments here, but I'm only going to read some. Uh, but I'll read, a, I'll read a couple here for you folks. Just Jake says, play to the strengths. O-line, running backs, run the ball until the opponent shows they can stop it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Once they stop it, then you have to do something else. That's where I'm worried. What's going to happen when we play a team that is effective and run defense what will happen then michael craig maple says linebackers consistently out of place no discipline setting the edge on defense play calling again is very suspect on offense you know i will say that offensively play calling i think could be better i know that there are certain situations that richardson can't audible and make a decision for himself but if you're running the football effectively and you got a running back that's averaging 17 yards rushing per touch <laughs> You feed that running back the football until they can stop it. Kelly Boomer says it's a process. Lots going on. Trying to change the culture, piece together talent, develop developmental toughness, and a winning mentality. Oh, and win games in the process. I'm patient. Yeah, I am too. I mean, it's as I said, it, it's an upsetting game. You don't like the results, obviously. Um, but as as I said, you, you got to be patient with the staff. It's a new coach, new regime, and the fact that they're recruiting pretty well right now and we don't even know what it's going to look like up at the end and i may change my tone depending on whether it gets better or not i mean you really can't complain as a whole i guess but as long i said this too if we have a bad record this year and i said it before the season started as long as that recruiting class looks good then i have hope for the future and i'm okay with that but uh i think we just got caught a little off guard defeating utah at the beginning of the season just Lou says, play calling looking very basic. AR has no confidence right now. Well, yeah, maybe so. Maybe that can hurt a, a quarterback's confidence. Um, play calling, though, can be better on offense. I, 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 I've said this to probably two or three guys that I talked to in media. I said, you know, Richardson looked awfully better last year than he looks this year. And if you look at some of the play calls that Richardson got last year, I mean, you have that one-step trick, like you're going to run the football and you're not, and then you go and pass to a running back out in the wide open. That was against Damian Pierce in the LSU game. I mean, you have, like, you got to play to your quarterback strengths. And 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 I don't know, as I said, I, I, I'm not an offensive coordinator. I'm not a quarterback's coach. I'm not a head coach. But you got to play to your quarterback strength if he's struggling right now. And so far he is. We've seen two games, and I think we've seen two games enough. Play to your quarterback strengths, more design run plays, a little bit more creativity for him. Give him some easy throws. Don't ask too much for him. And let your running attack do the job. But make sure, obviously, you have better designed run plays as well because teams will prepare for that. But if you... If you can throw off a defense with creativity in the run game, they're going to be scrambling to get guys everywhere and not know where you're coming from. And that's when you can possibly, maybe on a couple plays, try to take the top off and pass to an, uh, an open receiver down in the flats, which obviously Richardson struggles with his accuracy, but if you don't ask him to pass too much, maybe he gains back some of that confidence. First words at Billy Napier's intro presser was, this is going to be a process. Prior regime left him nothing. Recruiting, coaching, teaching will take time. Marathon, not a sprint. I believe Billy Napier and staff are the right team to get it done. Gator Nation needs to chill and let the process play out. Yeah, sure. It's okay to be upset. Like, I'm upset about last night's game, but I'm not, like, putting the coaching staff on a, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to throw them out on a wooden stake and just set it on fire or anything like that. I mean, it, it's going to take time. I, it, it sucks. And I know the desired results are upsetting, but you just got to kind of ride the year out, man. And, and hopefully the, the recruiting, uh, I mean, at the end of the, the process and the cycle gets you more pumped for the years to come. David Biddle says, we seem to be regressing. Defense got bullied by a very low talent team. The passing game continues to get worse. Last year, AR was throwing dimes. Hendo, ran deep, and Whittemore was clutch over the middle. 
this running game can be elite if we stick to it. Play calling is very questionable. I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, it, it looked night and day better last year when Anthony Richardson was in the game and he had to throw a pass. This year it doesn't look that great, to be honest. I think there needs to be more creative designed pass plays for Richardson that, that's a little bit easier on him to get first downs. And then you leave the chunk plays to the run game. And that, that, that's my, that's, that's just my take. But uh, as I said, the, the staff, they, they look at film and they, they adjust, but I just, I haven't seen any kind of adjustment yet to where it, it, it's actually working. Where's the video of 21 getting into it with a coach? Um, yeah, I, I, I saw that, but I, I, you never know what that's about. That could be something really silly that happened on the sideline, and it's, it, and it's fine, or you never know. I mean, th- those kind of things happen. I mean, players get frustrated, and you know, coaching staff has to deal with it, and, and that's just how it goes, man, sometimes. This one says Jack Miller time. Um, I mean, I, I would say this. If if you have a struggling quarterback, and if Jack Miller was healthy, um, I would have put him in for a drive or two maybe just to see what happens. But I, I, I'll tell you this. A, a average, an average quarterback or, or average quarterback play last night would have blew out US, US. I was about to say UCF, USF. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I think that if Jack Miller was healthy at the time, Maybe the staff puts him in for a drive or two just to see. Uh, and it's not just it's not to tell Richardson, hey, you're about to lose your starting quarterback job or anything. It's to maybe calm him down, settle him down a little bit. And I think that's the problem is right now you don't want to sit a quarterback when you've got two quarterbacks that have zero in-game experience. I mean, you can hand the ball off, but I mean, you know, you see these new quarterbacks that don't have college experience and they're fumbling snaps and they're doing something like that. I think the staff didn't want to risk that. And it kind of sucks for Richardson because he doesn't really get time to like you can replace a quarterback, I guess, and and give him time to think about things and and settle down. Richardson can't really do that right now. He doesn't really have anybody that can step in for him for a second. So I kind of give Richardson a little bit of credit from the mentality standpoint. But, you know, when your defense is consistently giving up first downs and you're sitting on a bench for at least five minutes, I mean, they had 34 minutes of total position. Don't you think that's enough time to kind of shake off the cobwebs to get back out there? I would think. And I'm going to read one more. This one's from Ken. It is going to be a long season. Well, yeah, obviously. But as I said, if we'll, we'll see what happens in February, the recruiting. If Florida has a pretty good recruiting class, then I'm okay with going 7-5, and 6-6. Six and six. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it doesn't even look like we're going to make a bowl game, but we're only three games into the season. But, jeez, it's looking terrible. But... What does that recruiting class look like? If it, if it looks pretty good, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with maybe some of the results from this year. But you got to you obviously you got to keep those recruits in your class. Uh, you know, the other teams are constantly trying to negative recruit against you, and you, you've you've got to keep those guys in. But if that recruiting class looks pretty good, maybe top five or close to top five, I'm not complaining here. And you won't complain either when you sign up for prizepicks.com with promo code SWAMP because with that promo code, you receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 on your first sign up. PrizePix offers every sport you can think of like MMA, NFL, college football, soccer, esports, and more. You can even mix up your lineups on PrizePix as well if you want to take Georgia's stifling defense and mix it in with Patrick Mahomes to the NFL and and pick your favorite UFC fighter all in the same lineup, you can do it. It's just that easy. Prize Picks is rated 4.8 stars at every platform out there. They have the best customer service out there as well. So if you're like me and you love to play fantasy, join Prize Picks right now with promo code SWAMP to receive an instant deposit match up to $100. It takes 60 seconds or less. It's easy, and you're already in the game right as you sign up. PrizePicks.com. Daily Fantasy Simplified. Ready, set. You're listening to Getting Swamped with David Soderquist. All right, Gator Fans, not the result we wanted on a Saturday, but at least we squeezed it out with a victory. And now Florida will get its first road test out here against the Tennessee Volunteers on September 24th, which September 25th is my birthday, and it would be wonderful uh, to have a birthday present for me to see Florida be productive on offense, come out there with a victory, play better defense, and everyone in Nayland Stadium 
leaving the exits disappointed. And it's great to see all these people out here getting disappointed. I love it. Oh, yeah, the famous Will Muschamp quote that uh, every Florida Gator fan uh, likes that lives in infamy is the the upset over there at Tennessee when uh, Treon Harris saved the game. And I think we beat them 9-10 to 10 or something like that. We just came back in the fourth and ruined their hopes of ever beating Florida. But that, that, was, a, that was a funny game. Uh, I'll admit that. I, you know, Tennessee, they... they uh, uh, hopefully they Tennessee next week against us, but uh, yeah, it's not looking good right now. But that doesn't mean that we can't pull off a victory there in Nayland Stadium. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how the team comes out, see what their energy's like in an away game. This will be their first true road test here against the Volunteers. But uh, I also want to give a shout out to you guys uh, out there still downloading, still listening to the podcast. I know my downloads suffered a little bit, so did a lot of other guys uh, through the past two or three weeks. Nobody really wants to hear about a team not doing that well. And I understand that, but, uh, thank you all for powering through some of these podcasts with me. Cause trust me, it is hard for me to put on a podcast talking. I, I don't want to talk bad about the team. Like, like I, I, I love this team. I love this coaching staff. Uh, there's just, there's things that's gotta be fixed and it's, it's just not looking good. I, I'm like I said, I'm going to be honest about everything, but at the same time, you know, I'm not going to be negative on the coaching staff, negative on the players, negative anything like that. I mean, it's just it's just fandom, man. We 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 want to see the team do good. We want to see the team go to a playoff or go to win a national championship or or something like that. And it may take time. Obviously, it's going to take some time here. But as I said, recruiting's looking up, and uh, as long as you have in your head that you're looking towards the future and not you know being so disappointed on what's currently happening right now, I think that you know. There's hope in the future, and and I don't think that we should just shun the staff or, um, you know, I don't even know. I, I, I can't, I'm trying to look for the word. I can't even think of the word right now. But we shouldn't sit there and, and bash the staff for three games in with guys that they didn't recruit. But at the same time, they do deserve some criticism for some of the stuff that we've seen offensively, some of the stuff we've de- seen defensively too. But it's, it's on the players too. So anyway, that'll do it. That will do it for this episode of Getting Swamped. As I said, thank you all, guys, for submitting your, I guess, answers to my question. I knew they weren't going to be great comments or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, as I said, we pulled off the W. It counts. Put the game behind us. Hopefully we can shake off the cobwebs. And, uh, as I said, make all the Tennessee fans in Nayland Stadium next week disappointed. But, folks, that will do it for this episode of Getting Swamped. Your latest in football, statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to Getting Swamped.